Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today's episode number 448, Helping Veterans of Both Parties Run for Office with Emily Chernayak. The thing that I would say to veterans is I know that it's scary. I know that it's not something that they were maybe thinking of doing. And I know that it seems like a very weird thing to get involved in politics, but our country needs you and our democracy needs you. And regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, we need leaders who are going to put the country first now more than ever. Well, you'll need to be patient with today's episode. It was my 70th episode, which you know, nearly 400 episodes ago, I was very new to podcasting. But I've gotten to know Emily really well since um, this aired you know, three, four years ago. And I am more and more of a fan of her organization that's called New Politics. And one of the things you'll learn about in this episode is how she started this organization to support members um, of political office who have a history of service, be that military service, be that public service with Peace Corps or things like that. But just realizing that the values that those people have, their ability to put their country first, is a huge asset, even if she might not agree with them politically. And I think that's so beautiful in this day and age where things feel so divided uh, and there is a lack of common ground. I love to see this organization that is supporting our military veterans run for office. So even if you don't think that's something you'd want to do, it's a great organization to know about and support. As always at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes with links to everything we discuss, as well as 447 other episodes just like this one. So with that, let's dive into my conversation with Emily. Joining me today in Boston is Emily Cherniak. Emily, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Thanks. It's great to be here. So for listeners, I wanted to give a quick background. Um, Emily is the founder of New Politics, New Politics, which recruits service alums, military, AmeriCorps, Peace Corps, etc., to run for political office and supports incumbent campaign, uh, supports incubates campaigns to win, help them win. Um, normally, I interview veterans on the show, but uh, Emily's built an organization that's helping vets, so I wanted to give a quick overview of her company, New Politics, and then a bit of background on Emily. So New Politics identifies top talents, helps them build a winning campaign infrastructure, and provides mentorship and support throughout their campaigns. They've supported five national service candidates in key states and federal races across the country, and they've won three of those five races, including Congressman Seth Moulton's unprecedented and win in Massachusetts, 6th Congressional District. Um, in t- 2016, New Politics is supporting 23 candidates in local, state, and federal races across the country, and they've won 17 primaries and 13 general elections. And in terms of Emily, she's got a really impressive background. She's run New Politics for the last four years. She's worked with AmeriCorps, City Year AmeriCorps, and part of the founding team of Be the Change, where she led a coalition of over 200 organizations to engage 250,000 people for a day of action in support of the $6 billion Edward N. Kennedy Serve America Act of 2009. She graduated from George Washington University with a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and psychology and a master's degree in education policy. So, Emily, first of all, anything to add to or amend in that introduction? No, it was great. Awesome. 
Um, well, let's start off with um, – tell me more about new politics. How would you explain that to a veteran audience? Yeah, I mean so I – we are an organization that thinks that we need new leadership in politics and we believe that the best kind of leaders are those that have served this country, whether it's through AmeriCorps, Peace Corps, or the military. And because veterans have unique leadership skills that they've learned in their service, they've also learned how to put the country first. And politics is a very counterintuitive and oftentimes sort of scary place. And so our goal as an organization is to really help not only recruit but support these veterans and become sort of an honest broker and sort of navigator through this political space, which, again, is super counterintuitive. It's a closed ecosystem, so it's really hard to just figure out. Um, and so we really try to, um, you know, help people through this process and, and make sure that they stay authentic to who they are as a servant leader and build the best team around them so that they can be set up for success and they won't win every race, but we want to make sure that they run strong campaigns. And you had introduced me to Sean Barney and for listeners, that was episode 65. I really, really recommend it. I, I just found Sean to be such an inspirational person and he was singing your praises throughout that interview. And he mentioned something about a, um, a theory of change that you have. And I was curious to learn more about that theory. Yeah. I mean, I think our theory of change is we really think that, um, you know, Congress has now less than, you know, 18% of, of its members are, are, have service backgrounds. And before it used to be like 75 to 80%. And we really believe that people who have served, who have learned to put the country first, continue to do that throughout their lives. And so if we had more elected officials, you know, in Congress and state legislatures and city councils who we're about the country first, I think we could solve our problems and really do big things as a country. And I think the challenge with politics now is that we have less and less people who have really had that experience and leadership um, experience about putting the country first. And so now we have elected officials who are really about themselves, who are about partisan politics, who are about keeping their job and you know being career politicians as opposed to servant leaders. And I'd love to learn more about the genesis of new politics. So could you take us through kind of your background? And then if, if you have like a moment that you could pinpoint where it was the genesis of, of the idea. Yeah. Um, so ironically, I was never political. Like I just wasn't that person that grew up wanting to be in politics. I never, you know, I didn't major in political science. Um, I actually very much was against politics. I thought it was a space that was, uh, people lied. They were dishonest. It was not trustworthy, right? So I was um, someone who served. I did youth work. I did AmeriCorps when I graduated from college at an organization called City Year. And I really was about how do I impact my community um, in a real way. And so that's what I did my my for the first sort of six years of my professional life. And then um, my my boss, Alan Casey, who founded City Year, I was working for him at his uh, new nonprofit at the time. And in uh, Ted Kennedy had passed away. And so there was a U.S. Senate race that was going to happen in Massachusetts. And Alan was going to run for it. And he asked me to help him on his campaign. Despite the fact that I had no political experience, he you know, wanted me to be involved because he trusted me and I was you know, someone he could rely on. And that real, that experience was sort of, I think, the aha moment for me. I talk about it like the matrix when you like swallow the red pill and this whole world <laughs> sort of appears before you that you never knew existed. And that's how I felt about campaigns. You know, I was someone who was really engaged in my community and civically engaged and I voted. But the electoral world was a totally different world that I knew nothing about. 
And I just, it blew my mind. Like it blew my mind that I knew nothing about this world, that I knew no one in this world. And yet here I was like a active, like engaged citizen in my community. Right. And it just made me realize how separate these worlds are and how important they are. And so I went through that experience and seeing, um, you know, my boss was really one of the, he is one of the best social entrepreneurs in the country. You know, city year is a hundred million dollar organization. They're in like 25 cities. They're in, they're international now. And still seeing how he struggled and how we did not know how to run a campaign and how the people that you are around in politics, it just was a, it just was like a crazy experience. And what I realized was two things. One is that our politics is broken. It's just incredibly difficult for someone to just run for office. Um, and the second piece is that, um, you know, that politics matters and elected officials have incredible amounts of power. And here I was thinking naively that I could just like impact our communities through non-political work. And at the end of the day, our elected leaders are the ones making significant decisions about our country and our communities. And so if we do not get them people into office who actually, um, know how to sort of bring people together, who know how to work with diverse people who have proximity to the issues facing our country, you know, we're going to not ever, we won't, we won't be able to do big things. And so it just was sort of this aha moment of like, wow, like this is totally not how I thought it was. And then it made sense to me why we get the, the people we get in politics. One of the things that, that Sean mentioned to me that I was really blown away by is that you you work on both sides of the aisle. Like I had assumed yeah. you would you would have one or the other. And it, and I think it's it's challenging for me to or I, I find it so compelling because it's challenging for me right now to to see another point of view. Like I know my point of view and then to see an, a, a different party's point of view can be difficult for me at a time. And I'm I'm wondering if it's ever challenging for you to um to to support both sides of, of something. I, I imagine you have your own beliefs, but then to be able to support someone in running that doesn't share that beliefs, I think that's incredible. I think that's like amazing. But I'm wondering if that ever poses problems for you. You know it's funny it, I don't find it complicated at all, but everyone else finds it really complicated. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think on both sides of the aisle, you know, like we have, so Seth Moulton is a, a Democrat congressman that we, we supported. Um, Mike Gallagher is a Republican congressman that we supported. And I don't agree with either of them on everything. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. You know, I'm a registered Democrat, but that doesn't mean that Seth and I agree on policies all the time. Mm-hmm. And even though Mike's a Republican, and yeah, we don't agree. I'm sure I don't agree with him on on policies, but but that's not really why I'm about leadership. And so what I what I care about is that we have servant leaders who are willing to put the country first. And so whether Mike and Seth will make votes that I agree with or disagree with personally, that's not really what we're about. What we're about is that I trust them to go and make the best decisions for the country. And I'm not Pollyanna about that. Like it's, you know, you get, you get sort of in these, you know, the parties and the, the political stuff you have to do and, and be involved in. But I just think at the end of the day, you know, we need leaders who are willing to duke it out and debate and figure out the best solution for all of us. And whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you know, they should be going to Washington to do that, to do that. And I think we, we get, we, that's what we don't have right now. Um, and so I think for me, it's really about, 
how do we get leaders who are honest and committed to the country? And on both sides of the aisle, we don't have that. So for me, it's not actually hard or complicated. It's about leadership. I, I think that's so awesome. And I, and I do, I know, like in my gut, I know that, that the best outcomes in, in teams and I imagine in politics come when you have a diversity of opinions and you have people challenging each other and you have different points of view and you have people expressing dissenting um, uh, opinions. And so it's great to see that you, you know, you prize the person's background and you prize their leadership ability and you prize their love of the country. And then their, their particular beliefs don't really matter as much. And that just, there's something about that that resonates so true for me. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if you could take us through the process. So let's say a, a veteran listening to this is, is really interested in politics and, and they reach out to you. Where does it go from there? Yeah. Um, so if they went through our like sort of A to Z process, we um, – so the first thing we do is we have this sort of – uh, answering the call is what we call it. This like leadership development piece, which is very, it's very simple. It's very low barrier to entry. It's, um, we run sessions, you know, every other month, but it's like four once a week for two hours for four weeks. And that's really about getting clarity about the inner work of who are you as a political leader? Is this your calling? How are you thinking about it? And is this something you want to do? And we find that we first have to get people through that piece so that they know, like, this is my path whether it's like running for office or working on a campaign or getting involved somehow, we really find getting clarity. Cause a lot of times veterans are just like, I want to be involved in politics. I want to do something to serve my country, but they have to really think about what's the right path for them. So that's sort of the first piece we take them through. And then the rest of what we call the candidate's journey is really kind of preparing them for that, for that path. So if they want to run for office, it's about, okay, so here's how we're going to think about your timeline. You know, here's how we think about how do you prepare? How do you start doing that work to get ready for when you want to run. And our veterans are sort of, you know, either they're like, we'll, I want to run in four years or they're like, I want to run this year. I mean, everyone sort of has a different, a different time frame. And part of it's sort of like in, in politics, it's such an unpredictable space that chance favors the prepared. Right. And so for us, it's how do we make sure they're prepared for when the opportunity arises? Because even though they might be like, well, I want like four years from now, it might be two years from now you know, the opportunity comes up. So for us, it's really about making sure that they are sort of on this journey and, and ready to sort of take the next steps when opportunities come up. That's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm wondering also, because you've worked with people with military backgrounds, is there anything that stands out as, as common misconceptions? You, you kind of talked about people starting with just this very, very broad, unrefined approach of like, I want to be an involved in politics, but is there anything else that you can think of that, uh, maybe, maybe you'd want veterans to know that they might not un understand about this process? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a couple of things that are interesting that we've found. One is that a lot of veterans don't actually have a political party allegiance, which makes sense because they've been politically agnostic in their time of service. So having those conversations about, are you a Republican or a Democrat are really important and what feels authentic to them. Um, you know, I think that it's, you know, what I say to veterans a lot is because they've done really hard things, right? They've been in combat. They've, I mean, it's really hard to be a, to be a military member in service. And so I understand that, but politics is hard in a different way. So I think that it, it's not easy to be a candidate. And so I think that that whole process around, you know, 
raising money and, and being out there talking to voters and, and it's just a daily grind. Like it's just really hard. Um, and so really making sure that we're really upfront about like what it is and, and what it takes. And like, can you spend three hours on, on the phone calling people, not just asking for money, but asking them for your support and, and are you cool with that? Right. Um, and I think the other thing getting them to understand is that like talking about themselves is hard. You know, I think, there's, I think they don't like to talk about themselves. It's partly sort of how do you, and how do you translate your leadership skills that you did in service and why that makes you a political leader. And I think a lot of people in our country, because 1% have served. So when someone says I'm a veteran, you know, it doesn't really mean a lot to people other than they say thanks for your service. And so what, what we have to sort of do is really help them articulate what leadership skills they learned in service and how do they talk about that in, you know, in a political space with mostly people who have never, never been in the military. You know, for example, um, you know, Seth Moulton, when he was running the first time, you know, he talked about how officers eat last and the platoon eats first. And, you know, that really resonated with people and they, and it seems super obvious to those who have served. They're just like, yeah, obviously officers eat last, like, duh. But like for civilians, that was very powerful for them because they're just like, wow, like here we are in a political space where all elected officials seem to be eating first and we eat last. So for him to tell that story, which seemed like a very simple story, was very powerful in explaining the kind of servant leader that Seth is. And I think other veterans sort of have those antidotes they can talk about. Um, and Sean Barney did that as well. He was like, you know, we were a Republican or Democrat, we were all Americans and we served our country, right? So you can talk about sort of these stories and you have to sort of pull that out for veterans. It's so, it's so fascinating to hear you speak about this because, you know, in the last 70 interviews I've done, they've almost all been from the business side. And the things that you're touching on are common, um, not weaknesses, but challenges that vet, almost yeah. every single veteran talks about, which is speaking about themselves, selling themselves, not uh, boasting of what they've done, not not even boasting, but just being able to talk about it, being able to talk about it honestly to them feels like boasting because they're so used to not speaking about these things, to talk about the team, to play up the team's accomplishment, not their own. And also, you know, you talked about with fundraising and, and I've seen this trend where most vets have difficulty asking for help. Like they need, yeah. they need to do things on their own. They need to be able to accomplish things independently. And so asking for an introduction, asking for mentorship can be a challenge for most vets. And so it's just so fascinating to hear in this political world to see that it's, it's very similar um, challenges that, that vets need to overcome to take that next step forward. Right. Um, and, and you touched on fundraising, and that was the one, one of the things I wanted to talk about. Um, and when I spoke with Sean, you know, one of the things that came through in that interview was how much of this process is about constantly raising money, constantly asking for, for someone to write a check. And I think his, his final words of wisdom was, was that, like, hey, if you're thinking of this path, you need to sit down and create a list of the 100 people you're going to go to tomorrow and ask for money. And if that's uncomfortable, this is probably the wrong path. And I'm, I'm just paraphrasing. But he had, yeah. he had thought that you might have a lot of thoughts on that about raising money, um, difficulties you've seen in veterans and, and non-veterans in doing this, and any advice you have about that fundraising process. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, fundraising is hard for most people. And I think veterans, um, because they've never had to, 
to do it in their life as an in-service, that it is just a new thing for them. And I would, so part of what we have to do is unpack for people, like why asking for money is hard. And that is a range of things. You know, there's a veteran who grew up, um, you know, first generation Mexican American. And he was just like, my family never asked for anything because it was a pride thing. And so for me, asking for something is like very weird. Right. And so you have to kind of like get to people's like core of like the why and like what is really going on there and then sort of sort and then kind of solving for that issue. Cause fundraising in general is complicated for most people. Um, and I think partly with veterans too, they, you know, money is, they, they don't, they didn't get paid a lot in the military. So like the concept of money seems like a lot. So I had a veteran who was just like, I don't want to ask someone for $2,000. That just seems like a lot of money. And I was like, look, would you give someone $50 who asked you to support a cause? And he was like, absolutely. I'm like, okay, so this person's $2,000 for how much capacity they have is like you giving someone $50. So, you know what I mean? So you got to kind of like get them to understand that like money. So like, I feel, you know, it's weird when you ask people for money and I'm like, would you give $10,000 to something? And to me, $10,000 is like a lot of money. But if someone makes a couple million a year, right, it's not, yeah. it's just a different, right? So there's different levels. Like I would give somebody a hundred dollars, like no problem. And that for some people that's, that's their 10,000. You know what I mean? So it's just getting them to sort of, you have to sort of um, break it down for people and get them to sort of see that it's just little by little that, and, and I think for, you know, with Sean and others, you know, raising a million dollars just seems like un, it's just an undaunting number, but you have to break it down into math and you're like, okay, if you get 20 people to give X amount and then, you know, it, it just, you have to sort of break it down into pieces. And I think if you can do that and help guide them through it and then they see the success, if they actually get, they ask people, they say, yes, you know what I mean? So then they get, they get more used to it. Um, you know, they're also veterans tend to in the beginning or candidates tend to not ask for amounts. They're kind of like in the beginning, they're like, well, whatever you can give. And I'm like, look, like then they're just going to give you $25 because most people have no concept of campaigns. Yeah. Like most people, you know, they know how much they give to their church. They know how much they give to their like local nonprofit politics. You know, like, like if Sean asked somebody to give and they gave like a hundred bucks and they could give more, I'm like, well, you didn't ask for more. And so at the end of the day, they're going to just, make up a number that they think is helpful to you unless you say, I need this. And so I think they get, and they get better at that as they keep going. You know, I think Sean at the end was like, I need, you know, I need this amount from you. And so you just, it just takes practice. I, I mean, I think there, again, there's so many parallels for business as well. And that what, what's that quote of fortune fav, favors the bold and that thought of it, it does, yep. it's so uncomfortable to, to ask or to, to make a big request of someone. And it's so easy to cop out to either putting the ball in their court or, um, relying on their generosity. But I think there's something, um, when, when you, when I see that in someone, when they, they have that boldness to like throw something out there, that's a big goal or a big stretch, it, it does kind of inspire more confidence. And so it's interesting to hear that. And, um, you know, I was, I was blown away in Sean's conversation because he said, I think he raised over three quarters of a million dollars. And, mm -hmm. you know, from my background, I, I've raised about $3 million in funding for my company company story box. And that was institutional investors writing big checks, all selfishly motivated by hopes of a big financial return. And to think of raising three quarters of a million dollars from a lot of individuals for people who have no financial return, where it is because they believe in a cause. It's really amazing to think of the amount of determination and drive that it would take to, to do that. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think, and this is what we sort of talk about with our vet with veterans candidates is, um, you know, everyone wants to, you know, people want to be part of something bigger than themselves, and they want to feel connected. You know, some people do that by volunteering and knocking on doors for you. Some people do that by writing checks. I mean, everyone has their own mechanism for, you know, contributing. Um, and then I also think there's other people who have self-interest and, you know, supporting partisan, you know, candidates from the party that they like to get more people, you know, who they think align with their policies into politics. So there's various reasons why people, you know, give money, um, you know, to candidates. And so I think it's making our veterans understand that, that it's, um, you know, that they're going to give to you or someone else. So it might as well be you. That's awesome. Um, I'm wondering, uh, you, you've touched on a couple so far, but I'm wondering if there's any stories of veterans whom you've helped that, um, I don't know, came to mind or that we haven't covered so far, just, just showing how a veteran has made this journey. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, we have some amazing, even local candidates like Scott Goldman ran for city council in Baltimore and, you know, he didn't, he didn't win as he came in second out of nine candidates, which was awesome. But he was a great candidate and he, you know, did everything right, knocked on doors. He just did a whole field operation. And, you know, for him, even though he lost his first race, he is set up now to sort of, you know, do something else politically, like, you know, whether he'll run again or, um, you know, be involved in in Maryland politics. Um, But he's a true servant leader and just, I think, really, um, you know, really just like worked really hard and got a lot of people to support him. Um, you know, so he was inspiring. Uh, Chris Soto got elected to the state legislature in Connecticut. He's just awesome. And, you know, I think was come, comes from a nonprofit background as well, but, you know, really, I think was, is going to be an, impre- you know, an impressive, you know, state legislature in state legislator in Connecticut. Um, yeah, I just think most, I mean, a lot of these candidates are so impressive that people are just really inspired by them, um, you know, getting into the arena. Um, um, but yeah. And then I'm wondering for a veteran listening, if, if the, you know, what you're saying resonates with them and they're interested in public service, I'm wondering what are some indications that new politics might be right for them? I mean, we're happy to talk to anybody. And I think for us, you know, we have no dog in the fight. So it's really just about, you know, is it the best fit for for the, for the veteran? Are they, you know, are we helpful? I mean, that's our main goal. Like, how can we be helpful? Um, and so we're happy to talk to anyone and just help them think about their path and answer any questions they have. And I always like to touch on weaknesses. Um, I, I'm wondering, you've kind of talked about, um, you know, the, the ability to speak about oneself, the ability to, to be able to ask, ask for money, things like that. Or do any other weaknesses stand out that, that a veteran should be aware of that they'll need to overcome or need to work on if they're going to enter into this arena? Um, you know, I think, I think the other thing we see is, you know, the political space has a lot of darkness. And so it's really preparing veterans to understand Cause when you're in like the military, I mean, you do things that are not always, I mean, you're in combat and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that it's Pollyanna, but, but it's a different type of person who's about commitment to country. And so you trust that service ethos cause you're just around those people. Politics has like a, a dark side and I talk about it in like star Wars language. So there's like Sith Lords and then there's like <laughs> Jedi's. 
and our candidates, our veterans are the Jedis, right? And so you have to sort of understand that there is this pull towards towards darkness. And I think what we really try to do is is really talk about that. And then what we, you know, because you can easily kind of get swayed, you know, to the dark side. And there are people who are just about their self-interest and and what they need from you. And they, people like that just don't really exist in the service space. It's just a really different environment. So I've talked to a lot of veterans who have been in it and even campaign managers who have been veterans just are like, I've never experienced this before. Like, it's just crazy how it just is a different kind of people. Um, and so I think understanding that, that darkness and understanding people's intentions and trying to sort of understand that everyone has a self-interest and knowing how to navigate that because otherwise you can get pulled, um, into the dark side. And I sort of talk about that, like Anakin Skywalker, like it didn't take much for him to become Darth Vader, right? Actually it was like a few key things. And then he got pulled into the dark side. And I think that can happen to anyone in politics. And I think for us, it's making sure that our candidates stay Jedis and that we really are upfront about what that space is and what, and what it's about. Bonus points for Star Wars references. That's so awesome. (laughs) Um, You know, that's, that's, you know, it's funny as well because I always ask vets when I'm interviewing them what surprised them about their transition to a civilian career. And, you know, at least four or five of them have talked about that they took for granted the values mm-hmm. and integrity and just assumed yep. they just, it was implicit that anyone they mm-hmm. were working with had a baseline. Right. And, um, no, th- and that's not true. It's not yeah. true. Yeah. And I think that that's jarring for people when they, they come out not expecting that and having formed a worldview that that is common everywhere and realizing that that was one of the advantages of their, their service. So I think that's a great thing to, and I think it's great for them to remember too, that as they are surrounded by that and as they're, as that is, is probably the norm to, to stay true to their values. And I love the way you put that with like remaining a Jedi and how easy it is to give in to that, that darker side of things, but continuing mm-hmm. to hold their integrity true, even when that's not the norm anymore. Right. Right. Um, I, I always end with kind of an open-ended final words of advice. And I, I feel like in this case, it's even more important because honestly, this, this world is so new to me. And I know that there is so much that you could talk about that I just don't even know to ask about. And so I wanted to give you just pr- plenty of room to, Anything else you would want to say to an audience of veterans listening to this? Um, yeah, what, what else would you want them to know? I appreciate that. I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing is to know that, that they are desperately needed in political life. And our country is at a really um, dangerous place right now. And I just truly believe that... Um, the more people who have, the more um, people who have uh, served this country, the more we def- we desperately need them in political life. And so I think the thing that I would say to veterans is, I know that it's I know that it's scary. I know that it's not something that they were maybe thinking of doing. Um, and I know that it seems like a very weird thing to get involved in politics, but our country needs you, and our democracy needs you. And regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, we need leaders who are going to put the country first now more than ever. And so please, please think about it and think about running for office. Think about working, you know, on the Hill, being a chief of staff, being a policy director, whatever the role is, we need you in this ecosystem because we are 
in desperately need of Jedi's. That's how I'll end it. <laughs> this is great, Emily. Well, um, for listeners, I'll put in the show notes links to everything Emily's mentioned. Um, actually, I'm sorry. One one more question for you, Emily. Um, yeah. I, I I wanted to ask about resources you would recommend, and if for some a veteran interested in politics, if there's any book or podcast or website or movie or or anything that you would recommend to them that you found inspiring or informational that they should check out, I want to make sure I I ask that. That's a good question. Um, a lot of the books are partisan, so I don't. I have to think about that. But you know, we are we are trying. We're creating a candidate's journey manual that will be done at the end of February or end of January, and so that might be helpful. Um, but I will think about other. I'll think about other uh, opportunity or other resources. But um, yeah. Awesome. Sorry, I'm like, no, yeah, no not, not helpful there. but <laughs> Yeah, for listeners, I'll add in links to that Candidate's Journey Manual once that's available. Um, and you can also check out Emily, her work, and her organization at newpolitics.org. Um, Emily, thank you for your time, but also just thank you for the work that you're doing for our country. I think it's it's so vital right now, and I think it's awesome to see a very novel approach that's making a very big impact. Thanks, Justin. I'm really honored to be um, on your show, and I appreciate it. Surface, surface, surface. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our chief of staff, Steve Bain, our editor, Lex Brown, and our head of social media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for-purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.